This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. Billy, I'm I've, I've been very concerned about you. I've been because hearing... of my cough, my no, continued no, cough. No, no, no. Um, your health issues. I'm actually excited about. I'm actually more concerned about your family. <laughs> um, my understanding is that uh, the snow is coming, or is there perhaps? Uh. Well, you know, there's a claim. Everybody I talk to here, they're like, we're getting six to 18 inches. It's That's like, quite I'm a range. Like two to seven. I'm seeing, I'm not seeing the same news reports everybody everybody else is no. seeing in New York, because they, apparently. Because these people find the, the most the scariest possible mother model they can find and say, that one says six to 18 inches, which is, by the way, a foot difference. Honestly, you know, uh, a week and a half ago, we were talking about how hot it was and how global, what's exactly. the hottest trend record, and now we're in snowpocalypse mode. It's like people can't figure I out hate this. I what hate is it. going on. I'm, and I'm on the, we're on the West Coast. We're not going through it right now, but you guys, I'm just watching the news and they just get so excited and they're just, <laughs> yay, yay, it's snowpocalypse. And it's, it's, it's aggravating to watch. You know who I'd love to hear talk about oh, snowpocalypse? Mm. Nancy Grace. <laughs> <laughs> I just would love to hear her talk about it. <laughs> um, I'm sure she has a thought on it, but it's, yeah. it's it's amazing to see because, and you and I were talking about this earlier today when the reports are coming, and, and these idiots reporters they have, I don't know, you draw the low, I I don't know if it's a, if it's you lose the the short straw drawing, you know, and you got you're stuck out on the corner, being the guy pointing at this, the idiot standing on the on the corner pointing at the snow, or if it's they like this is the job they want. I mean, there's some, there's a couple of them who are just aroused by by the <laughs> snow they go out there and it's like it's, what is wrong i with love you? that you paused and looked <laughs> for a word and then went with the word you were probably trying to avoid yes <laughs> but this is what happens when you record a podcast in the middle of the night practically <laughs> so well it's like it's, what eight o'clock there well it's almost nine but um <coughs> that's late it's, for a parent it's a parent um <laughs> uh but but the but they get so excited, and then they they have, they have the people in D.C. and we have coworkers in D.C. and D.C. DC is awful. Well, D.C. already already has the disadvantage of being the worst city on the planet. I mean, <laughs> Calcutta, Washington D.C. Let's see. Uh, 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 I pick Calcutta. <laughs> um, it's a pretty DC, name, Calcutta. Yeah, but Washington D.C. is a whole, and it's horribly managed and horribly run. It's just it is a. And it's it's the land of the entitled. It is just a suck fest. The whole city. The subway is nice. Well, it's clean, but it's not efficient, and it's not terribly or any good. I mean, it's it's fine. If I lived in the city, I would take it. If it was if it if it's if it had a, a stop that was near where I lived and where I near where I worked. So otherwise, otherwise you might as well you walk. Miss living in DC. No, not at lived. all. Twelve years in the DC area. <laughs> What a horrible, horrible place to live and raise children. That's why we had to get out. Anyway, every year they get snow in January. Every year. And every year, horrible things happen. You know, people get in wrecks. They can't they already can't drive. If it's sunny and dry roads, 
they still have problems. And the radio stations, the news stations, the traffic people say, well, there's sunshine delays today. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is, they I'm actually you, this put is that New in, York is like. They actually put it on the air. Sunshine delays today. And you think you have, you have an excuse for everything, but it's the land of the entitled. They have to be in front of you. So they, they'll cut in just to get in front of you, right? One spot in front of you in the lane. It, it, the traffic is going five miles per hour. What good does it do you to be you one car so ahead of me? Up about this. I you hate these. So I hate that city. I hate it. I hate it. With I do passion. love being snowed in. There's something about being that, snowed no, in that I love. Fun. That no, that's fun. When you have that I, much until snow. I lose power, and then I yeah. lose my mind. I right. when there's no power, I'm done. But more than two but days, if there's power. More than two days, though, and you go stir crazy. We were stuck. Well, yeah. We were snowed in in Virginia one year for like five <laughs> days in our house, and we we're about ready to shoot each other. I was snowed in for eight days, no electric ones, and it was bad. It was awful. awful. That's terrible. It but, was awful. It was an ice storm. It was but, very bad. So, but these reporters but, in D.C. go out on the street and talk about the snow. We got to watch out for the snow. And they shut down the metro this morning. Hours before the first snowflake fell, they shut down the metro. And the cabs, the taxi cabs, went from their regular fares to a $15 automatic fare just to get in the in the, in the vehicle. That's what, what was it, Street? John Street told us that? Anyway. This city. It is an awful city. They go, but they go, they have snow everywhere. But year. I love they, visiting. They, I love visiting DC. Yeah, everybody should go visit DC. Everybody should go see the capital. But I don't want to live in DC. No, 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 no. You don't wish that on your worst enemy. But they go through this every year, and every year they act like it's never happened before. It's like they no, have. Well, that's they the have, whole thing. They it's, don't, I mean, that's typical of DC. They don't, they don't. They don't learn from one time to the next. It doesn't matter what Everything it is. They don't you're learn. Saying transfers over to politics. Everything yeah, you're talking about with the snow. Transfers over to politics. My first, I think maybe I told you this. My first winter in D.C., first winter in D.C. that I lived there, it was quite an experience for one. But on the way home, just south of where I lived in Virginia, 212 car pileup. 212 car pileup. If you are, how does that happen? If you are cars 100 through 212, you automatically lose your license. That ought to be the rule. I mean, if, how does that happen? You I, hear the crashes, you see them coming because these idiots are driving seventy miles an hour on icy roads. I hate everyone, and oh, and that's you, the new policy. Now, I don't do they, I don't know if they do this in in New York where you live. Do they abandon their cars in the middle of the road? No, because that's insane. It's stupid, right? Okay, D.C. Not just on the streets of the city, not on just the streets of Virginia. I ninety five the. Probably the busiest highway freeway in the United States of America, right? Do they go back and get them later? Like, what's the game plan? I don't know. They just abandoned. I saw a guy get out of his car because it was it was slow traffic and snowy. He got he pulled his car kind of onto the shoulder, but not really. Turned it off, put it into park, turned it off, got out, and hitched a ride with somebody going the other way. That's jumped, amazing. Jumped over the median wall thing and hitched right with somebody going the other way. He didn't care who it was. He just and he left his car. But I've seen people; they just abandon their cars. It's you. You have never seen anything like it. It's, it's strange. It's a horrible, um, horrible city. Also strange. Awkward transition. Wait, wait. I didn't know this was coming. Just makes it extra awkward. This is the first awkward transition <coughs> uh, sound of the year. By the way. Oh, that's of the new year. That's great. Uh, yep, here we go. Yes. Um, Donald Trump. And before before we even get into that, can we just talk about how poor Sarah Palin can't can't make an announcement 
in her life without one of her kids having a bigger announcement (laughs) bigger announcement poor poor sarah palin is that what you said well here's why i'm saying poor sarah palin she she legitimately cannot endorse somebody announce her candidacy for (laughs) vice president do anything without one of her children having some sort of life catastrophe is this not true does it i shouldn't i'm not gonna say anything no, I'm not going to make fun of her family. That's not what I'm, I'm I don't just think saying. We should make fun it of her always family, happens. But that does way. it make you with the tragedies and the not tragedies with the poor choices and the <clears throat> situations situation more than more than one of her children has found themselves in? Do you, does it make you? This is something my my folks brought up. Does it make you question who she really is? If her if her kids are that screwed up, you know, I don't know. And he, I don't know. I mean, you can't blame the the parent for everything, but there seems to be a pattern of behavior here. Well, look, yeah, I, you know, it's tough. It's tough with with parents, and I think her yeah. son's older too, so it's really hard. It's yeah. kind of like, well, you know, he's he's. I'm not using the excuse she gave. You know, he's gone through a lot. He's been to war. He's done this. Yeah. He's done that. He's clearly made some mistakes in his life. He's a little bit older. Bristol, you know, was was young when she made the first um, mistake. And, and I think, you know, not to call a baby a mistake, but I think, you know, not being married and she all that, make, according to her own yeah. values, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was a breach of her values. And then she and did think, it again. Right. I, I think she probably figured, I'm going to marry this guy. It doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you're not marrying him now and you have another baby. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it makes me, ju- it, it definitely raises questions. Yeah. I don't know if it makes me judge them necessarily. I, you know, it's yeah. tough. It's tough. I hate, it is. I do think that the way parents raise their kids, it shows up in their kids. Yeah. I don't know if that's the case here. Yeah, I, I, don't, I mean, I look, mean, there are, they have their added pressure do. of her mom's a, a well-known politician and was a well-known politician <laughs> in Alaska before vice presidency. Right. I mean, there's a lot of other factors, right? When you're in like the public eye like yep. that, I think, yep. and you're yep. a kid and, and, and I would say Bristol does have good value. Look, she hasn't lived them out the way she said, but there are good values in her that I have seen her yeah. at least express. I don't know if they're authentic or not. Kind of a Jimmy Swigert kind of thing. Oh boy, <laughs> that's terrible. Now, now let me say this: I think that I understand my parents' question about that. I don't know that I agree with them, but I I think that it's I think it's fair for that question to be raised I in agree. people's mind. I agree. For people to go, oh, have them question about. So who is she really? I I get that. I think for me, the bigger question, the the bigger thing that pointed to a question for me about how things are run in the Palin home is the fact that she came out with the, what military people are calling an excuse with the, with the PTSD thing with her son. Like that's doesn't, that doesn't make it okay for him to do what he did. And she didn't, she seemed to focus on, there's a lot of problems in his life that our military people go through. And I blame president Obama. It's like, how about you go look in the mirror? I mean, I think that's what some people were kind of, yeah, and I think that's fair, that too. I mean, look, either she's using it as an excuse and saying, no, my son, you know, oh, I'm standing up for my son, whatever. Or maybe there are things we don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there very well could be things that right. the public does not know sure. that he has gone through that are directly related to PTSD or something. I, I'm, I don't know. It's still not an excuse. And right. I think you have to be careful how you talk about an issue like that. Right. Yeah. Because if you come yeah. out and you act like it's not a big deal. Well, no, it's a very serious thing. Right. It is a big deal. The allegations against him. And. You know, and the like allegations was, he, being, you know, beating his girlfriend. Right. That's, right, the, right, alleg- right, that's the allegation, right? Now, right. it's possible. Well, you know. Now, 
no, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to be taking this lighthearted, but is it possible that she just wouldn't listen? Oh boy. Um, well, you know, <laughs> Send and, your and, letters. and also I don't know. We don't know the ins and the outs. Of no, that we don't. Either. And we don't know. And again, it's alleged, right? I mean, there's, is there proof that he did this? Has he admitted to it? And his, his mom didn't say he did it or he didn't do it, but she did say he's going through a lot with the PTSD stuff, which would seem to indicate that she's not at least not denying it. Right. right? And, and look, but I the mean, girl could there, be lying that, as far that as we know. Fight? Remember that whole Palin alleged Palin fight with yeah. the, at the party and all that? Yeah. Look, I, I think I do think, too, it is difficult. I think it takes a very, very strong person to. And this is why you should be very careful if you go into politics or if yeah. you become famous to, yep. to handle the weight of criticism and attacks that that the Palins and other people yeah. you know face regularly. That's not an excuse for why you act a certain way or not. But I do think, you know, look, Sarah Palin has been and many people are, are looking at her now and saying, oh, look, maybe that was true. Maybe the media was right about her and all that. Yeah. Um, but she's faced a little bit more critique and rightfully so, rightfully not so than than many other politicians have. And and I think, again, some of that's brought on herself, but not all of it is. And it, it's complicated with the Palins, I think. I don't I don't we don't know their family and we don't know the ins and the outs. I would assume there's more to that story, I would hope, based on what she said um, in terms of. She knows that there are specific things maybe her son's going through. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. But it's, you know, I, I, I saw her endorsement of Trump. I listened to her speech. Well, I didn't. I, I read about it and watched some of it with the volume down. You're terrible. I can't. And listen, back in the 08 election, you know, and I, I know I heard Pat and Stu talking about this this week and Glenn. You know, I'd have crawled over broken glass to vote for the McCain ticket because she was on it. Hated John McCain. Right. Still don't like John McCain. As a as a as an individual, I don't like him. As a person, he's a. I just don't like him as a person. I've got story after story after story, which I I shan't share here. But I really like Sarah. Palin. Everything she said back then was right, you know. But then you you see this. You listen to her. But at the same, okay, so I say all that to say. Even then, I couldn't stand listening. To her like her voice drives me insane and i don't and i i don't like how she says how she says yeah, there's things. like a weird cadence to how there's she a strange speaks. cadence there's a there's a there's a uh a, 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 a sound to her voice she sounds like every man's first wife i think that's how i've put it before oh boy but you, just, you're on just, a you got a bunch I, of zingers oh tonight. I'll i've got more that we won't use uh but you know, I so anyway. So this the the Trump endorsement speech. I listened to it and and then had to turn it off and just read closed captioning. Uh, <laughs> really um, made me. How did I? I, I try to put it nicely, and then I just said to my parents, "Forget, it, I'm not going to put it nicely." And I said something along the lines of, "It makes me wonder: Was the media right about her all along?" Yeah, you know. Because it's such a the things that she said and the and the reasoning behind her selection is just so nonsensical. It makes me go, what is going on in her mind? Well, look, if you're if you're an evangelical and you're looking and, you, and you're looking at the field, 
I think that there's a lot of stuff about Trump that will pro- would probably bother you if you if you were to see, okay, he stood over here on abortion, now he stands over here. There are a lot of issues that are important to Christians that yeah. I think there's some confusion on. And also, from what I've heard, Donald Trump really does want to tax the, the, the wealthy more. I mean, he believes oh, yeah. in sort of the same kind of taxation yeah. system that the Democrats do, yeah. um, at least when it comes to those who are billionaires and, yep. and millionaires. So all of that to say those are kind of the opposite values but look another person who and i actually think this one was more surprising willie robertson endorsing him too yeah. i mean look again willie rob smart guy look willie robertson is guy. a smart guy did he, you just use air quotes he, when you did that no did i did not oh, he, he I, that is. was look, me he, i'm using it smart guy he has built he's <laughs> built an empire yeah, he and he's yeah. and he's a very smart businessman right. and he's and he's a very strong um, Christian, right? Yeah. And we know this. Yeah. And so that was an odd endorsement to me, too. It was. But, and what was his reasoning? You know, I don't know. He's like Trump since the start, though. He's been pretty consistent I know, I know, about it. And the fact that when, when we found out, when it was first reported that, well, he he, announced, he he was told that a long, he's kind of indicated that a long time ago, but there was also a uh, uh, a story when, when, when it was first reported that Phil was going to be endorsing Cruz. It was brought up that Willie was endorsing Trump. And didn't... Uh, Oh, Peggy Sue or whatever his wife's name is. Didn't she? Uh, Corey. Corey. <laughs> I don't know. You're awful. a jerk. She Didn't she say something to you about it? Yeah. she. No, she I mean, like, maybe it's off the record, she, but I mean. I, she like, yeah, she doesn't necessarily. Agree with all um, of his politics. Yeah, she doesn't necessarily. I don't, I don't know who she would endorse, but I don't know that it would be Trump. Yeah. So anyway. So, Marital strife over politics, dun, 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 dun. dynasty style. Well, look, I, I, the thing with Trump, I actually think that everyone probably needs to get ready to accept the fact that he might be the inevitable candidate. Know. I'm not, I'm not convinced yet. I mean, it's looking every day more and more likely, but that doesn't mean it's a done deal yet. Because I think there's Donald still a lot Trump, of Donald Trump people. gets whatever he wants. That's okay, how it so, works with Donald so, Trump. So here's part of the here's part of the issue, right? that I think is maybe, I don't know if it's being taken into account or not when people analyze this, but one, the Cruz voters and supporters, I think are dedicated 100% to getting out there and voting. I think that the Rubio supporters are the same way. I'm not convinced that's true of Trump supporters. And in- if, if a lot of Trump supporters are Democrats, there are states where you have to be registered in the party in order to vote in the party primaries. Right. You know, isn't that true? Yes. Yes. I, I would imagine. And I think, look, the the biggest thing that Trump faces, let's say he is the candidate. He needs to figure out how to turn everything he's said for the past six months yep. and turn that around yeah. into something that can resonate with independent voters. And yep. I don't know how you do that. I think the Muslim ban. I mean, there are a few things. Some of his immigration comments, the Muslim ban, those are going to be really tough things to spin and change. But if anybody can spin and change, it's yeah. Donald Trump. And and make people somehow believe it. That's what that's what I don't get. That's the thing that, that confounds <laughs> me maybe the most about his candidacy is his supporters who who many of whom shouldn't know better, but many of whom should know better, right? There's a lot of dummies who support him because he's a, he's a celebrity. And and as much as we like to say, well, celebrity doesn't matter, you know, no, it matters. It simply it Oh no, matters. it definitely does. Well, look, but what I, has I, Donald Trump always been known for? Saying what he thinks. Harumph, harumph, and yeah, blah, blah, blah. He's, right. he, doesn't, he doesn't care about the facts. He says whatever's on his mind at the time. That's why he says these stupid things. The, 
back in April, here's a here's a prime example. So last night or two nights ago or whenever it was, National Review put out their 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 cover editorial, right, about getting rid of Trump or opposing Trump or whatever, whatever reject Trump or whatever the the cover was, right? And there's essays from 22 different conservatives, and then the the editorial team at the at the magazine wrote an editorial how he's a menace to conservatism, <coughs> which I think is I think is uh, I think it is a fair thing for them to have written. It's their magazine; do what they want. So Trump comes out and says, National Review is a terrible magazine. It's been fading away. It's no good. William F. Buckley Jr. would be embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. And he's criticizing National Review. Yet back in April, Katie, our friend Katie Pavlich over at Town Hall goes, uh, what about this? And it's a tweet from Donald Trump where he talks about, everybody, I need you to, we need to rally behind National Review. It's a great conservative magazine. It's an important voice for America. I mean, it's nothing but praise and adulation for the magazine and urging people to sub, to buy and support the magazine and to donate to it because he thinks yeah. it's so important. And then nine months later, he's blasting it as a useless rag and it's not conservative and, the, and that Buckley would be uh, embarrassed by it. Just he's, enough time he, to birth out another. <laughs> it's it, Well, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's staggering. And he acts as though, and this is, Ob- you're not going to like this Obama supporters or uh, Trump supporters. This is very Obama-like. Say one thing. Say, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That's not what I believe. I didn't say that. This is where I stand now. It's like, that's what, that's what tyrants do. They say one thing to get your, to, to make friendly with them and then totally lie and say something else, whatever's on their mind that serves their purpose at the time. And then they'll say something else a week, a month, a year later, because it Look, doesn't matter. At, to them. This, at this point, I think people have to confront the reality of you might go to the polling booth and you might have to choose between Hillary Clinton Ugh. and Donald Trump. Yeah. And not, if that's your choice, you have to figure out what it is you are going to do. And I think that I'm, that gonna, is, I'm going to is, pick my nose and wipe the booger right there on the ballot. Will that count? Is it a scantron? In I'm going to wipe it on both count? names. Like, I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm not going to fill the spots. I'm going to just wipe boogers on their names. <coughs> There's no, no way I'm voting for either of those people. Not a chance. You know, I th- what I'm going to be fascinated by, too, is if he is the candidate, who's the who is his VP? Because that's going to actually and and that might be how he he does some of this reversal is who he picks for that position. It'll be, it'll be Rubio. I think it would be Rubio. Yeah. And I think, to be honest with you, Rubio would be the saving grace think, that would bring pe- some Ru- people back over to. I, I think Rubio is if he's not the nominee, I think he's almost automatically the VP nominee. It would be a silly thing. For somebody not to choose Rubio as their VP if he's if, not the candidate, right? If they're doing it for, strategically, if, if they're doing it for petty reasons, like I don't want to have him because I don't. He said bad things about me or whatever, right? But he seems to me like vice presidential material, presidential material too. I mean, I like the guy. Is he my number one pick? No, but would I vote for him in a heartbeat? I'd crawl over well, broken glass to vote for him. I'm probably not allowed to say who my pick is, but um and i'm not allowed to say which party it is probably but um <laughs> people could guess how about that um yeah let's see if we can narrow it down without okay. you having to say it okay uh <coughs> is he from is he from west of the mississippi or east of the mississippi wait let me i'll have to give you yes no questions yes yeah. or no okay is he from west of the mississippi no you <laughs> You know what I just saw you doing? You sat there for a minute and your eyes went like, which one's west? Which one's west? 
This is what happens at at twelve oh seven a.m. This happens at twelve oh seven p.m. By the way, <laughs> it totally does. Totally does. <laughs> okay, so east of the Mississippi, let's see. I'm pretty sure I know who it is. In fact, I I know I know it is. Okay, without but we wanted to give this a chance for you to give this without, uh, without coming out and saying it. Okay, um, is he from south of the Mason Dixon line? Yes. Gotcha. Is he... Let's see, who would that include? That would be... That would include Bush and Rubio. Uh, Bush and Rubio, right? No, oh, and Paul, Rand Paul. Kentucky South? Yeah. Let's see, Rubio, Paul, Bush, I don't know who else. Okay. Is he from... Um, a warm He's climate. He's fine. You got me. Warm He's Carly climate. Fiorina. Warm, cli- warm climate. <laughs> you keep saying he. You forget you're forgetting about sorry. Carly. Is he, she from a warm climate? Potentially. Okay. Is he, uh, is he, uh, is he sleeping with a former NFL cheerleader? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. By the way, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I don't. I don't need a call from HR. Um, I, I. What I will say. Uh, do you know? Is that okay? Let me let me put it this way. Um. Jeb Bush is married to Mrs. Bush, and she's not a former NFL cheerleader. Did you know that? Yeah. There is yeah. one candidate in this race who is married to a former NFL cheerleader. <clears throat> so that's all I'm and saying. It, I'm imagining it's not Carly Viorina. So well, her husband. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I, anyway, so well, you know, you say you won't vote for Trump now, but I'll I'll be interested to see what you do. So here's here's so here's a discussion I had with my family the other night because they're they're confused too, and they they're not Trump fans by any means. But they say, so what do we do if it's Hillary versus versus Trump? And I said, I won't vote for president. I'll vote for all the other offices, but I won't vote on president. And they said, really? You mean you'd let Hillary be president? And I said, and this is just me throwing things out there. This doesn't mean that it's the gospel truth by any means, okay? Hillary would do less damage to the Constitution than, than Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump will try to try to, and has indicated as much, abuse executive authority. I think that um, Hil- I think Hillary's a <laughs> I think it's a very good chance that Hillary is a criminal and there's all these other things about Hillary and all these terrible things we hear about Hillary and about the past including during the administration. What are you talking about? All these what horrible, do you mean? She's all a the loving hor- grandmother. <laughs> all the horrible things we've heard about Hillary Clinton look are are pale in comparison to the truth about Hillary Clinton. Let me just say that, okay? <laughs> oh boy. But I look. think that her I I think that she is she will abuse the Constitution and her uh, her office. I think Trump will do, would do it even more. But the do problem you feel is that, that Obama he will do has it, abused will, the Constitution. Yes, I don't. But I, she, she has said she would continue his work. Yeah, so, yeah. really, if if you believe that about Obama, then you're really sort of left with a situation of two people. Look, I won't vote for somebody who Trump I believe is. I won't. I won't vote for somebody who I believe is going to abuse the Constitution. I think both of them would. Well. I'll be interested to see what happens. 
So there's another candidate in the race that we were talking about the other day. Oh, the one that doesn't own a comb? Yeah, apparently doesn't own a comb. No, no no utensil. Liber- I mean, God, we have forks. I'm sure he eats meals. There are forks. Use uh, your like, fingers. Like Princess comb, Ariel. Comb your, put, your put, comb your hair with your fingers. I dip mean, it, there dip are it forks. In, there are sporks. There are all sorts of there devices are glasses, you could use to run through your hair. There are glasses of water you could pour over your head. I mean, anything would be an improvement. If God, I know that Bernie I'm going Sanders on a debate like stage, I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if I know that millions of Americans, or in the case of the Democratic uh. debate, 150 people are watching, I am going to walk out, okay, on stage, not looking like I just stuck my finger in a socket. <laughs> you know what he looks Is- like? <laughs> he looks like a, a fairly clean homeless man who just crawled out of a sleeping bag. Like he's been living in a box. <laughs> oh my gosh. Or um, he <laughs> almost so looks weird. like... Across between, oh. forget it. I'm not even going there. Oh, okay. I, it's almost like, or- like Orville Redenbacher. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But 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 when he wakes up yeah, in the morning, right. like a hungover, Orville Redenbacher. <laughs> I just don't understand. You have look. I understand that he doesn't like the billionaire billionaire class, but he could at least ask one of them to buy him a comb. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You know, it's my I, pet peeve. I cannot get through a debate without. Right. Being infuriated by that. But, you know, I still kind of like the guy. I don't like any of his politics. Oh, yeah, he's lovable. But, uh, but he is. And he's, I enjoy, I enjoy someone who I think actually tells it as he sees it. Right? Not I mean, he's, in, he's completely he's saying insane. things he's, that are insane. But he, yes, yeah, I mean, he's saying insane things. His policies insane. are insane. His policies are insane, he's but nuts. he seems like he's a genuine, nice yes. person. Yes, absolutely. Actually, the most disturbing moment that I've seen with him was on one of the late shows when he was asked about believing God and he would not answer, which was yeah. an indication to me that there is not, yeah, as it would seem, a belief in God. Yeah. And that's fine if you don't want to believe in God, but it was disturbing that he didn't answer it. Right. It was one time that he question. was not candid, that he was not honest, that he did not give a real answer, I thought. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think he's likable. And interesting. I, I see why young people like him and are attracted to what he's saying because young people like fairy tales. And a yeah. lot of the things yeah. that are being discussed are um, attributes that exist in a parallel universe. I, know. And uh, well, not I was talking about my, my in laws are here, as you know. In fact, you and I had an interesting discussion today about <laughs> part of that. Uh, but we were talking about the Bernie Sanders thing. And it's like you listen to these, these folks, the Bernie Sanders people. And I, and I, what I told these, what I told my in-laws and they, they're, they're my, listen, my, 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 my in-laws are so conservative. They make me look like Bernie Sanders. I mean, they're, it's crazy. Anyway, so we were talking about Bernie Sanders. Said, you know what bothers me the most about Bernie Sanders? It isn't Bernie Sanders. It's his supporters in much the same way about Donald Trump, though Donald Trump bothers me too, but it's his supporters. Like, how do you, how are you that dumb? Like you want to take everything, the, the socialism thing, just uh, you have to be a dullard to believe in that garbage to me. And so it's, it's, it's so frustrating. It's so disappointing for me to look at the electorate in America, the people of America, and to look and say, we got a party who's one of their two, major, the guy who could be their nominee is an avowed socialist. And people are rallying to his cause. A large segment of our population is rallying to his cause and his calls for socialism. And you think, how have we, how have we gotten to this point? And it's just, it's staggering to me. Well, it's called desperation. It's called 
being very desperate no, and wanting enti- to- it's entitlement. They're entitled. They feel entitled. They're entitled to my money and they're entitled to your money. Do you think though I mean Bernie is so upset about the millionaire and billionaire class? I love when he I love that you line. Do it lower. Talks about you gotta sound like more like Larry David. Um do, I mean, do you think that he ever would have wanted pending Colonel Sanders, who I assume is his uncle or half brother? Pending he was still around, would he want to also tax him at a ninety percent rate? Do you think? I don't know. It's it's really weird because I I'm now okay, and we're gonna get into this tithing thing with Ted Cruz here later. But I'd be interested to know he's very for a ninety percent tax rate for the wealthy, and I would assume higher tax rate for people making say a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, I'm wondering does he voluntarily pay that much more out of his his salary as a U.S. senator, because he makes about one hundred and forty, hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, I think, maybe one hundred and sixty. Is that what it's up to now? Yeah, I think so. But Does I want to just point something out: these insane people who talk yeah. about taxation. Yeah, you could take somebody who a family, a husband and wife, who make one hundred and sixty thousand. Let's say, well, like you, like put, you, like you and Andrea. Well, you make and put two hundred. Yeah, right. 000. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you put put them in a place like where I live, outside of New York City, versus a place like where you live. Right. And you're, it's two totally different situations. Yeah, one hundred and sixty thousand dollars is not a lot in a no. place like New York. It sounds like a lot, yeah. but it's not. You right. can do the basic things. It's almost like having. $60,000. Like, that's how I would describe it. Um, you know, so it, it's just fascinating to me the way that we talk about all these things, minimum wage, all these things, as though the country is just one place where everything's on an equal playing field. It's not. It's very, I pay $5 for a gallon of milk. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's not. Wait, no, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Let's be honest with the people here, Billy. $5 for a gallon of milk that is delivered to your home. No, well, yes, but okay. I, I do get grocery delivery. But wait a okay. minute, but it, it is at that's least four dollars, five dollars for dollars to go buy. That's it. why no. it's five dollars for a gallon of milk. Listen, you, listen, you, grocery delivery. You, you we, New you York. Talk about delivery? You Let's kn- talk about grocery you delivery. New York snob. I know. But I have look. to pay five dollars for a gallon of milk. Yeah, because you have it delivered, you douche. <laughs> They don't charge you more. You yeah, actually sure they save. Don't. They don't charge you more. That is such utter baloney. You obviously don't know how capitalism works. You realize they don't. They, they here's don't, the, here's they, the thing. Well, they, the, don't, they don't volunteer. You have to understand. The delivery they service don't. you pay. You pay a fee. It's $6 for delivery, okay? Tacked on to. They don't, they don't eat the costs of delivery. It's actually added into the price of the products you purchase. No, but that's not how it works. I'm it telling you, works. the store that we shop at is a store that delivers to us. So the milk is the same price whether they deliver it to me as part of my package right. or whether I because go and buy it. Because the, they have to build, they have to, the, the cost of doing that business of delivering groceries that's not covered by a $6 fee, by the way, because you got to pay for gas and mileage on a car and the person who's delivering, okay? That six dollar fee does not cover that cost. It only covers. I'm part telling of, you, you can compare the part items of that, line by line. It covers. It. The, it covers you. part of that cost, but then they build. Then they take that other cost that's not built into the that the fee doesn't cover, which is most of it, and they put it into the price of their groceries. And so that well, they store, might they might but, be doing that in the store might, too. Right, right. If it's five dollars for a gallon of milk at the store and five dollars for a gallon of milk to have it delivered. That's because everybody pays more because they have to take the cost of doing the delivery business and put it into the price of their products. Okay, listen. Okay, thank you, Prager University. But what I'm trying to tell you is 
that if you if you shop at any store though, it's about four to five dollars here. Okay, that's the price of milk now. That's insane, but that's life, right? So Bernie Sanders can go on and on and on about 160, 150,000, whatever. But 90% on anybody is criminal. Yeah, I don't even understand how anybody yeah. arrives at that. Right. Well, and it's, what's amazing is you take, even if he said, okay, we're going to start the 90% for people who make a million dollars, right? But the person who makes $200,000 and the person who makes $2 million would have similar take-home pay. I know. It's actually <laughs> absurd. It's absurd. Yeah. It's stupid. I guess you make if you make a million dollars a year, you would have less take on pay than the person who makes $150,000 a year. What you'd have is wealthy people trying to hide their money and leave. And that's what Absolutely. you'd have. Yeah. I wouldn't blame them. I'd no, I wouldn't either. I'd do it too if I were wealthy or able to be wealthy. Right. Should we do an awkward transition now or what? Sure to what? Do you want to take a break or you want to just awkward transition to the next thing? Let's awkward transition right into Ted Cruz. <laughs> Big Ted. Big Teddy. Big Ted. Hey, by the way, you promised the people an interview with Raphael. Not the not the Ninja Turtle. Oh yes, the, Raphael. The Good old Raphael. Um we could still do that, but he never picked up our phone call when we called him. <laughs> do you think he do you think he could hear the phone ringing? I I mean <laughs> He not over his <laughs> defense of his son. No, he's been constantly on the all campaign trail. All, no, I, all I can picture is Raphael Cruz <laughs> laying on his kitchen floor with one of those beeper necklaces saying, Hell, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> you are terrible. Hey, here we you go. are terrible. Here we go. All right. Speaking of Raphael Cruz, <laughs> Ted, Ted Cruz. Um, Ted Cruz is under a little bit of fire, and it's interesting because this is happening just less than two weeks from the <laughs> Iowa caucuses, and Chris can't contain himself still. Um, the The problem apparently is, according to critics, and there's one group out there, um, Americans for Values, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting the name of the group, but they've put together a 30-second spot um, that is, or a 60-second spot that's actually running all weekend long, and that spot is attacking Ted Cruz on a number of fronts. One of those fronts is um, on the fact that they claim he had, has not tithed. I've got it here. You want to listen to it? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, here we go. Oh, we've been so busy. I'm just starting to think about which Republican I should caucus for. Oh, me too. Have you looked into any of the candidates? I saw something about... <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Uh, this is, is it bad, awful. Is it bad that I just want to punch these biddies right in the nose? I know. It's like, <laughs> what are they doing? Like, okay. what? Is, continue. It's just... Well, it's painful <laughs> to listen to, and it's embarrassing. It's... Is it some group that claims to be some Christian evangelical right wing group? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or is it somebody that's pretending to be one? It's I don't, even I don't know. think about I, the group. I can't judge people, What's, Chris. Yes, you can. You just gotta you love can. everyone. No, 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 you don't have to. I mean, you gotta love everybody, but you can still judge them. So, what's the name of the group again? I, I, hold on. I will tell you. I will tell you. I had it memorized, but that was before it was midnight. It's <laughs> Americans United for Values. I almost I'm, had it. Yeah, I've never heard of them before. Have I heard of them before? Who runs no, that group? No, I, I, they're new. <laughs> just, they're new. They just opened up uh, opened up shop about a <laughs> week ago, and they're going to close <laughs> in about another two weeks. Ted. Okay. <laughs> okay. Play it. All right, here we go. We'll play this. These women. I mean, these actresses. Ugh. All right. Oh, we've been so busy. I'm just starting to think about which Republican I should caucus for. Oh, me. Are they doing the dishes? <laughs> they are. Or they're in a crowded coffee they, shop. I can't figure it out. There's a lot of clanking. 
It's really awkward. It's really distracting. All right. Too. Have you looked into any of the candidates? I saw something about Ted Cruz, about how gay marriage wouldn't be a top priority for him. Oh, I saw that too. Her dentures about to. I saw that. Her dentures about to fall out. It sounds like this elderly. <laughs> and I, I actually think it's terrible. I actually it's think awful. I heard a pen splash. <laughs> this is maybe one of the worst radio commercials I've ever heard. Yeah. Okay, here we go. He said it at a New York fundraiser. He tells them one thing and tells Iowa another. Yeah. I also heard he gives less than one percent to charity. Iowa, Wait, Iowa. Are they Cleons? Okay. Iowa, Iowa. This is this is a message to our enormous Iowa audience. If you fall for this commercial, you're an idiot. You don't deserve the right to vote. Your vote to be your vote. Your right to vote should be revoked because <laughs> this is terrible. Okay, sorry. And church. He doesn't tithe. Isn't he a millionaire? His wife worked for a big Wall Street bank, right? Yeah, Goldman Sachs. Now there's this story that his campaign was funded by a loan from Goldman, and he didn't disclose it. These phony politicians. Yeah, sounds like a whole lot of bad when it comes to Ted Cruz. One good thing. We've narrowed down our list. Yeah. <laughs> One good thing. Yeah. Okay, we got to go back to this. Comes to Ted Cruz. One good thing, we've narrowed down our list. Yeah, not gonna <laughs> caucus for Cruz. Paid for by Americans United for Values, which is responsible for the content of this advertising. Not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Phone number 515-329-6430. What was that phone number? <laughs> Look, I want to know oh, where I'm... the accent comes from. That accent is crazy. That was just that was a, that's just a stupid commercial. And I'm not carrying Ted's water on this. I think it's just, even if I was running against Hillary, I still would say that is a terrible commercial. And oh, whoever, please, you love Ted whoever, Cruz. whoever wrote it and produced it ought to be you fired. You love Ted Cruz. Make him give you the money love back. Him. You love him. You <laughs> want to caucus for him. You love him. He is dreamy. I'll give him that. He is dreamy. He's got dreamy. Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it? No, what? Well, can you? Are you comfortable saying in public? No. <laughs> Terrible things I say offline. No, I'm not. Um, I can't believe you're me that. Something well, I about... mean, I am comfortable saying that, but I'll be unemployed if I do. Um... <laughs> okay, as um, much as... Okay, just... listen... As much as we're joking around and we joke about people's appearance and the way they sound or whatever, and maybe maybe you don't like how somebody speaks or whatever, he seems like like Bernie Sanders seems to be actually a genuinely good person, right? Like a agree nice to, person. Agree to disagree. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Speaking of, you know, when you were talking about Bernie, we were talking about him being seen to be a good guy, but he makes he's just insane. Says insane things. You know, I've often had the same feeling about um, uh, Joe Biden. Yes. Oh, yeah. I like Joe Biden a lot. In fact, in fact, when I worked on the Hill, he was a senator when I worked on the in, on Capitol Hill for about four years. And a chance to run into him a few times. Just genuinely, I mean, he just, he, maybe he's just a slick, I was going to say genuinely nice and then fall with, maybe he's just a slick politician. But I think he, I think he is genuinely a nice, gregarious person. And in fact, I saw one time he was having a conversation with an intern and it was an intern, I believe, from a Republican's office. It wasn't one of his own interns, but I think this intern was from a Republican <coughs> office. And he's having a conversation, just getting to know this person. And it wasn't like one of the summertime love me from my brains, 
love me for my short skirt uh hot interns you know that you that come around on capitol hill every summer but it's like a regular normal looking intern and he's actually talking to this person over by the elevators that go up to the senate floor or go up by the senate floor and he's sitting there talking having a, a like a one-on-one -on -one conversation just kind of getting to know the person being nice and genuinely nice and another senator walks up to him i think it was barbara mikulski but i'm not sure and it wasn't it's immaterial because it was one of the other 99 senators and this senator walks up to him and just kind of eases their way into the conversation and wants to start talking with Biden and Biden stops the senator, puts his hand up, stops the senator, says, just a minute, I'm in a conversation here, which, which really impressed me because he didn't have to do that. He's a senator and another senator wants his attention. He's talking to an intern and the intern has his full attention, which, which I was impressed with. Anyway, I think he's yeah, genuinely, I think he's genuinely that nice, way is a nice yet slightly misguided and slightly man, misguided. Yes. He's been wrong on every foreign policy question of the last 40 years. He's not, <clears> he's <throat> more than slightly misguided. No, no. He seems like a really <laughs> nice guy. Can I just sent you a link to look at? And I know all of us are familiar with this. My favorite Joe Biden moment ever is the interview. The villages. The, that one? <laughs> it was the same week as um, the Katie Couric interview with Sarah Palin. And it was just as crazy, but nobody was talking about it at the time, Can't where he said the FDR was president when the stock market crashed and all these other crazy oh, yeah. things that were not true. That's right. Should we play this? Yeah, are we allowed Can't, to play this? I don't know. It's a newsy item, right? <coughs> um, yeah, and it's should. also 100 years old, so. Shall we? Yeah, I mean. So this is your favorite Joe Biden moment? Have you found you have to be uber careful and disciplined in terms of being no. out on the campaign trail? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> uber. <laughs> he says no. And then he proves it. Is to instill confidence is demonstrate that he or she knows what they're talking about and but communicates to people. If you listen to me and follow what I'm suggesting, we can fix this. When the stock market crashed, Franklin Roosevelt got on television and didn't <laughs> just talk about the, you know, the, the princes of greed. He said, look, here's what happened. Wait, 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 wait. FDR was not president and there were no TVs yet. But continue. Stock market crash. Franklin Roosevelt got on television. Franklin Roosevelt. It's because it keeps coming, interrupting with stock market crash 1929. Franklin D. Roosevelt became president in early 1933. There's text on the screen. More than three years after the stock market crashed. Okay, so perhaps I got my history wrong and FDR was indeed president. What did he do again? Got on television. Joe, I think that's quite improbable. <laughs> you see, the TV made its debut in the U.S. in 1939. <laughs> Ten years after the crash. <laughs> now, what was it you said before? Part of what a leader does is to instill confidence, is demonstrate that he or she knows what they're talking about. Again, Again. how does a leader instill confidence? Demonstrate that he or she knows what they're talking about. Joe, don't worry about your critics out there. You have my vote of confidence. <laughs> because you absolutely know what you are talking about. Have you found you have to be uber careful and disciplined in terms of being no. out on the campaign trail? No. <laughs> end. And then just the word end comes up. I can't. I love it. I can't. Oh, I oh, love it. Oh. That's on the get the fact Get the facts now, uh, YouTube page. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite thing ever. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was great. And, but my favorite part is Katie Kirk's just nodding. Yes, because she's so she's actually is so stunned by the fact that she knew the word Uber. 
she's uh, sitting there just nodding. She's like, she doesn't know what else to do because if she just shakes her head or tells them to turn off the cameras, she'll be fired. <laughs> it's like you and I are in that situation. He says something like that. We just okay, it's just end enter, end the interview. <laughs> he just, end the interview. Um, it just turn the cameras off. We're gonna go ahead. Would you stop the bus, please? Well, your car's not here. It's okay. We'll walk. It's like I can't. Get me out here. Sometimes things will oh, happen man. when I teach. I teach a college course, as scary as that is oh, for really, me. Oh, really, Billy? <laughs> what, uh, <coughs> what class do you teach there, uh, Billy? <coughs> You're, okay, first of all, <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because there's always somebody who says something incredibly awkward. Oh, I remember, I, I remember one of your awkward comments. <laughs> oh, no. There are... I had a man, and you're going to have to bleep me out this, because I'm going to have to curse to tell this okay, story. Okay, but is this the syphilis one? No. Okay. <laughs> wasn't, there a syphil- wasn't there a no. syphilis story, too? There is, but I can't tell that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> that one was amazing. <laughs> there was a man who was a foreign exchange student who we, we were giving speeches on why we love certain people in our lives, why, that, why people are important to us. And he chose his mother. And he gave uh, all of his reasons, and one of the reasons was that him and his brothers and sisters would sh- the sheets. Oh no! It's those that sh- we sh- sheets, okay. and my, <laughs> and my my mother loved us so much that she cleaned us up. And he said sh- the sheets like fourteen times <laughs> every time I say it, Chris rolls up. fourteen <laughs> times during the speech. Because every time you say it, I gotta go back and bleep it out. And that he sh- the sheets. Yes, exactly that. <laughs> Anyway, I have many good stories, but there's always that awkward moment. And so I feel for Katie Couric, who was very impressed with saying Uber. Um, I think we need I actually think we need to run our interview. Oh, crap. What interview is what interview is it? I forget. You don't even know. You don't, don't, you don't know. know. We talked no about idea. it before. I wasn't there for it. Obviously, I never am. You never let me go in any of the interviews. I know. I feel like I've iced you out of interviews inadvertently. We should yeah, talk inadvertently. About did you did you just do air quotes around that one too? <laughs> listen, listen. This interview actually could have gone very badly, and it didn't. It went no, it went it's nicely. Good. It's good. It's with Jim Wallace, dun, a progressive, dun, dun. <laughs> a, a very progressive pastor, um, who we've covered for years at the place. He actually has a new book out, and I'm just going to read the title of the book for you, Chris. Yep. And the book is America's Original Sin: oh. Racism, White oh. Privilege, and the Bridge to a New. America. Did you? No. I'm, here's my question. Uh, in this interview, did the mic happen to pick up uh, the sound of you punching him square in the nose? Um, no. Okay. I, w- I actually controlled myself. Actually, I was very. Billy hits um, like a girl. He's more likely to scratch or slap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I'm sure Hillary wouldn't I'll appreciate that. Claw your eyes out. Hillary would appreciate the way you're framing women's fighting tactics. So I'm framing your fighting tactics. Whatever. Um, yeah, it was. It was look. It was a thirty-minute sit-down about race, poverty. Um, Sounds fascinating. You know, and yeah. I'm not going to spoil it. And it's I worth kinda, listening I, to. I, I, I know, and I kind of like the old guy in some ways, based solely on the fact that I don't want to use any names, but my cousin worked for him. Was like his chief of staff for a while, and had always had a negative view of Jim <laughs> Wallace until my cousin, who was a liberal told me all these things about him that were really, that impressed me. I'm, oh, that's pretty awesome. You know, that sort of thing. So he's genuine. He's just wrong. Yeah. Um, and that, that's where I fall. And not on everything, of course, but, but 
you know, and, and you'll hear this in the interview. There's a lot of discussion about how we solve racial problems, his belief that racism is very rampant. And and not that I'm disagreeing with, with some of those elements, but the way that it's talked about and handled, I think, is sort of the sticking point. Um, but I was actually really happy that he came down because we've covered him quite a bit. And, right. you know, we've covered him fairly, but I think our audience is not really in tune with Jim Wallace necessarily. So. Right. It was nice that he came and, down. And we're not playing this interview so that you become in tune with it, what he's saying or that you agree with him. We're, we're, we're playing this interview because <laughs> it's fascinating. And he's, he's someone who, who professes to be a Christian but has a very different, different political worldview that from, from the two of us. So I, think, I, think it's, I think it's smart to do that. I think it's good to know where, where people stand. And he's, he is a, whether you like him or not, he's still a, he's still a player in the whole political, the evangelical left-wing movement. He's a big player. I mean, he's probably the biggest player in, oh, yeah. in, on left the Christian wing, left, for yeah, sure. Christian left, definitely. And, yep. you know, I think, look, at, at the end of the day, he's a nice guy. We had a good conversation. We're actually going to have him back on the show, and you'll be on that interview as well, Chris. So so let me ask this. Is he still, remember for a while at least, wasn't he a, a, a spiritual advisor for the president that like, would go to the White House semi-regularly? Yeah, we didn't it? get we didn't get into that, but as far as I know, there's still a relationship there. I mean, how yeah. could there not be? Look at right. all the issues, all the issues that Jim Wallace cares about: gun yeah. control, immigration. Yeah. Those are all yeah. the things that Obama has championed. So yeah, I'm sure they're still communicating. Uh, interesting. All right, let's play it then. Roll it. I'm here today with Jim Wallace, who has a new book out: America's Original Sin, Racism, White Privilege, and the Bridge to a New America. How you doing today? Great to be here, Billy. So I'm excited to talk with you. I'm going to, I have a couple of big questions I'm going to throw at you and I want to dive into the book. The first big question, it's a, it's a loaded question. What are your thoughts about Donald Trump? You know, this morning I was asked that on a CNN show and I said this, let me be clear. Um, let me be clear. When Donald Trump deliberately is fueling racial fear, and even racial hate. It really poisons and pollutes uh, the landscape, the political landscape of America. I don't say that as a partisan statement, but racism is, is in the air we breathe. It's, it's everywhere, and we're all relating to it all the time. And so when there are these appeals that I think are based on sometimes fear and hate, it really poisons that atmosphere. So, uh, and as Russell Moore, my Southern Baptist uh, friend and colleague, uh, said on CNN yesterday, that many of the people being attacked, like Hispanic Christians or immigrants or, uh, or uh, black church people, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So for us, this is a, this is a, a church issue. It's not just a political. Now, of course, the media, it's all politics. Their thing is... Uh, the state of the race, that's all they're talking about, the political race. My book is about the state of race in America, in the church and in the country, which is a much, it's a harder and deeper conversation than the political one. But I'm it's trying a tough to give, conversation. It's a tough, hard <coughs> conversation. But how do you get past politics uh, to have this conversation? That's what I'm trying to do. So... And that's why I led with that, because, you know, I, I saw some of the things you had said. And I think with Donald Trump right now, he is sort of saying a lot of things that in some ways coincide with what you're here to talk about today, which which is your book. Um, 
What do you think, and this is another loaded question, um, but what do you think the most pressing issue facing the country right now is? You're full of loaded questions. I am. <laughs> I am. Well, I'm, I'm looking at uh, this year, this election season, really through the lens of race, because to me that is, that is the unspoken issue and story uh, on all sides. And I think uh, we have to deal with that because Dr. King, who uh, we celebrate him this week, he wasn't, as you know, Billy, just a civil rights leader. He was a minister, like, like I am. And he talked about race as a faith issue, not just a political matter. And he would have used the language of, he did, of sin and repentance, which I'm using in the book. So America's original sin of slavery and racism uh, is still with us. It still lingers in so many of our systems, in our culture. And uh, I was with a young man in Ferguson, young black man, he was protesting. And he said, I still feel like only three-fifths of a person. And that's from the Constitution, part of our agreement to treat slaves less than fully human, which was a terrible, venal form of slavery. And that's still with us in the racially biased criminal justice system, which I talk about quite a bit. Now, I think changing these things should be both multiracial and bipartisan. I really think that we can find people on both sides of the aisle who vote differently on other issues, but who see racism, for me, it's a gospel issue. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm challenging Donald Trump's language on race because for me, that's a gospel issue. It's not to prefer him over uh, some other candidate or somebody over him. It's something we all should be held accountable to. Would you say there's one political party that handles these issues better than the other? And if so, you know, how would you sort of look at that? I know we don't want to get too far into the politics of it, but the reality is in an election year, somebody will be elected from one of those parties. Is there one that tackles these issues more effectively in your view? Well, like take, for example, uh, in, in the immigration issue. I was talking with Democrats and Republicans uh, in the Senate on both sides of the aisle who were very committed to fixing our broken immigration system. And I have a number of Republican friends, Lindsey Graham is one, who really wants his party to be a big tent party that reaches out to Hispanics and blacks and Asian Americans. I hear this from him all the time. So I have friends who are Republican who want a different party and who are nervous about the Republican Party being an old white party. Uh, they're nervous for as Lindsay would say, practical reasons like you can't win elections given the changing demographics of America. But there's a moral issue too. And are we going to be an inclusive nation or not? And so I really uh, encourage my Republican friends to put their ideas forward in a way that's inviting and welcoming to racial minorities, which I think is possible. But right now I think the party is not being led in that direction. And that's why the language of not just Donald Trump, but others sometimes too, uh, tends to narrow and make the Republican Party into a white party, which I think practically doesn't, it's not pragmatic, but it's also not, not right. So uh, I don't want the hat that says make America great again to really mean make America white again. That's really not what it ought to mean. 
I want you to define something for me. Now, I know sure. when people when people hear the term white privilege, which is in the title of your book, a lot of people become uncomfortable. Sure. Other sure. people embrace it. Um, define in, in your view what is you know what is white privilege? Can I define it by story? Sure. So I decided to write this book when uh, Trayvon Martin was was shot and killed. So in Sanford, Florida, terrible tragedy. And so I looked at my son Luke, same age as Trayvon. He's a big six foot tall, gonna play college baseball next year, big strong kid. And America knows that if he was walking at the same places at the same time in Sanford, Florida that terrible night that Trayvon was, he would have come home to me and Joy. The whole country knows that. Trayvon didn't come home to his parents and he's not going to college next year. Just over the holidays, we go to the, the UK, my, my wife's a Brit, and my younger son, Jack, who's 12, he's seven and he would like to know, you know, seven and a half feet tall. Right? So everyone says, Jack, you look so big and strong and athletic and, you know. Uh, and while we were there, the news came across the pond that the officer in Cleveland who shot Tamir Rice wasn't going to face a trial for driving up to a park and in two seconds firing on this 12-year-old kid without even speaking to him. Now, the prosecutor said, well, remember this kid looked larger than 12. He was five foot seven and a half. 12-year-old, same size as my 12-year-old. Now, I don't believe Jack would have been shot without a conversation. So white privilege is something we don't often even recognize. It's, it's sort of the assumptions, the normality of whiteness, the rightness of whiteness. All of us have succeeded because of hard work. You two, I think, have gotten here by a lot of hard work. I've work, worked hard too. But if we're not aware that we have had an easier time, even in our success because we're white, than if we were people of color, we're just not recognizing the reality around us. So it's not something that we're very conscious of. Uh, but I'm a white male Christian, and no matter where I've lived, doesn't matter if I've lived in black communities or how many black friends I have or how much I work against racism, I can never escape uh, the benefits, the priv privileges of being a white and male, just like my black friends can't escape being African-American. And that changes our, our experience. I'm a Little League baseball coach. And all the black players on the teams I've coached have a dad or mom that has the talk with them. How to behave or not behave in the presence of a white police officer with a gun. Every black kid has had the talk. None of my white players have had that talk. None of their parents, gave them, none of their parents even know what's going on, by and large. Well, what about white parents caring about their kids' teammates' parents having to have that talk? we talk in the sideline with about sports and politics and so on. So it's the difference in our life experience because of being white or brown or black. How do you respond to those who would say, well, it's really a poverty issue? Like if you were, if you were to solve the poverty issue across the board, that it would, it would do, that would be the solution. It would solve that for everybody. You know, people living in Appalachia, everybody. How do you respond to that? Brian Stevenson wrote the <coughs> forward to my book. He's a... Uh, Harvard lawyer, uh, won two cases in the Supreme Court. 
and I asked him to do an essay that opened the book. And so he opens with a story about coming home from work in Atlanta to his house. He parks outside his house on the street. It's a house. He's in the street. He's tired. He's had a long day. He's the probably premier incarceration lawyer in the country. Desmond Tutu has called him America's young Mandela, right? Very impressive guy. Gotten 110 people off death row who shouldn't have been there. Uh, amazing guy, but he's got legal briefs all over the front seat. He's very tired. He's listening to some music, and he says, let me just finish up this song. Puts his head back against the headrest, closes his eyes. Five minutes of banging on his, on his window, and a voice says, get out of the effing car, I'll blow your effing head off. It's a white police officer with a gun. Brian Stevenson. Not poor, he's very successful, didn't look poor, didn't act poor, he didn't do anything as people say people do. He just was sitting in his car in front of his house. He got us, I'm a lawyer, hands up, you know, I'm fine. Spreads over the car, spread eagle, humiliated uh, in front of his neighbors. Finally the cop realizes that he's a lawyer. This is his house. Does he say, I'm sorry? He says, no, this time you're lucky. I don't know, I don't have any friends who are black and upper middle class, not just working class or even, uh, you know, uh, underclass, that can't tell me stories about things that have happened to them from the police. I don't know anyone who's black who can't tell that story. So a poll that just can't came out, I I think needs to be answered, which is 72% of white evangelicals white Catholics and white mainline Protestants believe these police shootings are isolated incidents. 82% of black Protestants, black Christians, think they're part of a pattern in their lives. Now, what are we saying to our black brothers and sisters? That they're, lo- that they're lying, that we don't believe them. It's that we don't know their experience. We don't, R- Russell Moore says, white Christians don't really know the experience of black Christians. We don't listen to the stories. We're not, you know, we're in different places at different times. Could it also be too, and maybe not, but that they maybe don't look at race that, they maybe don't look at race in a way where they, where they would feel that way like the cop did or that somebody else. I mean, could that be part of it where some of these people do maybe look at everybody as being equal, and not maybe through their Christian lens, through a gospel lens. I mean, could that be a possible explanation for that? Well, yeah, that's probably what they would say, and sincerely, perhaps. But to be oblivious to the racism in our systems, which we can be oblivious to, uh, is to be complicit in those systems. For example, in South Carolina, on that terrible night last June, uh, you had nine <coughs> African-American Christians in the basement of their sacred place, Mother Emanuel AME Church, praying. And a young white man comes in, they invite him to stay and pray, and then he kills them all. Now, that was so explicit, if you will. No one could said, well, they were reaching for something. Maybe their driver's license, but I don't know what it was. Or they were running away or running toward me or their eyes look funny. They were just, which made black people feel... There's no place that we are safe in America if we're not safe in the basement. Now, that was explicit (coughs) racism, explicit bias. And 
most whites see that and say, I'm appalled. I think most whites were appalled by that. But it's the implicit bias that we don't see. The whole the book talks a lot about implicit bias that we're not aware of, uh, that police often aren't aware of, or teachers, or any of us. And so how do we become aware of this history? Uh, and then how do we, repentance means not just feeling bad or sorry, it means turning around and going in a different different direction, taking action. So I think when you say, as King would have, that it's sin, not just politics. Now, it's used politically, but this is a, there's a sin here that we have to address, and I think we can, as Christians, repent of sin and be changed and then find solutions to issues like criminal justice. Where do you think that comes from, these perceptions that cause it? I think that's the, you know, what, what is it that makes people, police officers, others, have this sort of racial lens, you know, through which this sort of thing is happening? Well, first of all, uh, we're going to Baltimore to speak on uh, Thursday night. And, um, you know, in Baltimore, you've got a whole lot of young people who have been shut out of education, of jobs, of family. Used to be there were jobs for black families in places like Baltimore. Now there aren't. So when I met this uh, kid in Fer Ferguson, uh, I said, uh, what do you want, you protesters? <laughs> he said, we're always asked that, you know. He said, I want an education. I want a job. I want a family. What does my son Luke want? The same thing. Cops are put into situations where people are shut out of all three, full of stress, conflict, even danger, and uh, they're supposed to contain it and control it and solve it, and they can't. So it's, it's, there is clearly implicit racial bias in all white people, including all of us in this room, and cops are not immune from that. Training can help. Uh, uh, looking at, uh, we can, uh, there's now great research on implicit bias and how to be aware of your biases. Do you think that... But it isn't know, just race, it's situation, because blue lives matter too, along with black lives matter. Both matter, so how do we change the relationship and the dynamic between the two? And part of it seems, I mean, you go to the South Bronx, you go to many areas in this country, there are very high crime rates, and you have police officers working in those environments where I would imagine that there are stereotypes, there are things that do develop in you working in an area like that. I would also imagine, though, too, that we have to acknowledge the level of crime that goes on um, in, in some of these neighborhoods because of poverty. That's why I asked the poverty question before. Well, poverty clearly, uh, uh, poverty is, is something that is a cons crime is a consequence of poverty. Les Miserables, you know, Jean Valjean stole a loaf of bread for his sister, right? That's true. But, but, but the book talks about how let's take the drug war. There's not any difference in the use of drugs between whites and blacks. No difference at all. But the arrests in the drug war are so disproportionately black and brown and not white. All the data shows that. So the incarceration is massive for blacks and not whites who are using drugs at the same level. So there are real, even when you account for poverty, poverty is a factor, you're exactly right. I've lived in poor neighbors most of my life, and, and poverty increases crime, whoever it is. But even counting for poverty, there are clear examples of race being, uh, being the bias here. And you look at drug, drug, drug arrests, 
uh, convictions, incarcerations, overwhelmingly ra there's racial bias there. Now, I wouldn't, and I'm not trying to, you know, I, I think. No, it's of, a good conversation. Well, you know, I think it's a great conversation. One of the things I've wondered, you know, in areas where there is higher crime, there tend to be more police officers and there tend to be, um, there, there tends to be a higher sense of needing to crack down on things and, and keep things in check. You know, I think about a lot of suburbs, you've got four or five police officers for the entire suburb. Um, and when you look at demographics of where people live now, and I'm not saying this is definitely the fa a factor, but it seems like there are more cops in some of these neighborhoods who are on the prowl a little bit more. So, Well, in, in fact, if you're going after, you go to places where you're going to arrest people. If you're not going to the suburbs to arrest white kids for drugs, you're not arresting them. You know, they're doing drugs. But in Bethesda, a suburb of D.C., a white kid can get second chance, third chance, fourth chance, affluent parents, Kids in the neighborhoods I've lived in, I've lived mostly in poor neighborhoods. They get one chance. Is it because they can afford the? This is why. I mean, it's for me, partly I that. Go back to the poverty. It's partly thing. that. It's partly tar targeting too. Partly that. Partly targeting. So, so, so again, it's it's this whole notion of who are you targeting? Where is where? Where do you aim? And let's take those poor neighborhoods. There's a whole chapter in the book called uh, "From Warriors to Guardians." Plato had this wonderful notion of the guardian key role in a society. I think police should be guardians, uh, meaning they're in the community, they're taking care of things, uh, serve and pr protect. We become more warriors with, with police. Hostile neighborhoods, poverty, crime, conflict, uh, militarizing police forces, uh, conflict in communication, how many cops are Little League baseball coaches or umpires. So the book talks about practically how you enter into neighborhoods like that? How do you not increase the conflict? How do you find a way into the community to reduce the conflict? And I love this notion of guardians over warriors. If we could now... Because poverty is a factor. If we could solve poverty, do you think it would solve a good chunk of all these other factors? Well, if you're saying uh, poverty solving it by itself... I, I spent my whole life trying to solve poverty. A so, lot of people have, so right? I, so <laughs> it's an I, idealistic notion, I, right? No, no I, I think we've had some great success, mm -hmm. actually. Uh, but, but, and so would that help? Of course it would help. But I'm saying even when you, when, when you allow for poverty equally, there's still racial bias. And the drug arrests are a clear primary example of that. So it's both race and poverty. And... You can't acknowledge one and not talk about the other because they're always intertwined together. One more question. I know Carly yep. has a question for you. Um, when we talk about, I, I feel like this conversation tends to be very focused on, on certain areas and, and people being trapped, and they absolutely are. Mm -hmm. When we talk about the welfare system um, and, and the intention of welfare, some will argue, well, you know, welfare has been a system that has been great to help people get on their feet, but a lot of people have become trapped in it. And they've, and they've remained in it because there's been really no way out for them. Nobody's shown them a way out. How do you respond to that sort of argument? Well, uh, I have a good and growing friendship with Arthur Brooks, American Enterprise Institute. And uh, we become dialogue partners. First it was a d debate, now it's a dialogue, now we're friends. Uh, so I've got a new radio show, and he was one of my first guests. And Arthur would say, and I would agree, that safety nets are really important and an achievement of a good society that protect people uh, and help keep them from falling further into poverty. He agrees with that. 
He says more conservatives should say that. I agree with him. I say safety nets by themselves can't overcome poverty. They can prevent people from falling further into it, but people need jobs. They need economic activity. Uh, and uh, Arthur says that, and I agree with him. So you've got these, these false debates going on, liberal conservative side. Right. So how do you have a decent, effective safety net? And there's lots of studies that show people have been li lifted out of poverty and, and go on if they didn't. You know, Arthur said last week food stamps have been a very effective program. And he's right. Have they all been effective? No. But they all haven't failed. And they all have been effective. So let's learn from what's worked and what hasn't worked, but know that we need a comprehensive approach. Again, there are three, th three things for me to overcome poverty. Uh, education, work, and family. All three are critical. And if all three are lifted up, that cuts against the left-right thing because there are people on all sides who are not really embracing those three. Uh, education, uh, work, and family. And I think that's where we can come together if our focus is on the people who need help and not who's going to win the political battle. Very interesting. Very good. All right. You had a question, Carly. Yes. So the title of your book refers to race as America's original sin. And to me, that implies something that is original. It's always been there. It's something that can't necessarily be eradicated. So would you say that the items you just mentioned are sort of the redemption plan for racism and poverty as well? Well, I like redemption. That's a great word. I think in our founding, I, I wrote a, a, a sentence uh, when we first used this term like 20 years ago. It was the most controversial sentence I ever wrote. <laughs> it said, America was founded by the near genocide of one race, indigenous people, and then the kidnapping of another to build our economy. I got more response to that sentence than any sentence I ever wrote. They said either that's outrageous or that's courageous. It was neither. It was just a statement of history, a fact. So that was, we, we were founded with that, and that's a sin. What we did was a sin. Now, uh, I don't think you can overcome that without naming it for what, what it is. We don't live in a post-racial society. We had 250 years of slavery, 100 years of legal segregation and discrimination with a lot of terrorism, lynchings against black people, 50 years of a civil rights movement, and seven years of a black president. Politics hasn't cleansed us of that sin. Well, I feel like we backtracked, and not not blaming anybody for that, but I feel like something has created a situation in which we really have backtracked over the last two years in particular, and I can't quite figure out what that is. Oh, I agree. I yeah. think instead of being propagators of morality and justice, we've actually become propagators of immorality and injustice. And if anything, we're more racially divided than ever. On all sides. On all sides. So, so we're past this old myth of post-racial society, because all this has got things out on the table now, right? And that is the positive thing. Now we're talking about this and how to fix our broken policing, broken criminal justice, our educational system, which is so racially biased. King said, painfully, you remember, he said, 11 o'clock, this is 50 years ago, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in our country, church. I would add 9 o'clock on Monday morning going to school and 6 o'clock at dinner time, right? Our racial geography has to be changed. And the book talks about how the churches could be a place 
where that happens. Our schools could be, and of course as a baseball coach, sports can be a place where that happens. So I think that's the way we overcome the sin by getting to know each other. And I have a story, I tell my story about race in the book, we all have our stories. How does my story get changed by the stories of black and brown brothers and sisters? See, I, I don't think that, that, that poll showing the tremendous racial disparity here is, is just overt racism. I think people just have no idea what the stories of. Russell Moore is Southern Baptist leader. He says, my white Southern Baptists, my, my friends, my constituents, generally have no real relationship to black Southern Baptists and don't know their story, haven't heard their story. I have stories in the book about people believing each other's stories in new conversations and that changing everything. But you overcome a sin by repentance mm -hmm. and redemption comes only after repentance. So I think we're on the way to that, but this is about practically how that might look and what that might be like for all of us. So what I'm hearing is that it seems to be more of an operation for we the people, the inferior institutions, um, not actually inferior, but smaller, lower institutions, as opposed to big government. Do you talk about that at all in your book? Well, I think it, this, is, this is personal, but it's also systemic. I mean, we've got a criminal justice system uh, that uh, needs to be, uh, for example, we can't keep hearing uh, about videos like Laquan McDonald in Chicago, this young boy who was shot and killed. We all saw the video. Now, am I saying most cops do do that? No. But when that happens, you don't cover it up. It was covered up. And so how do you get people, uh, black and brown, you know, to trust a system when no one's ever held accountable? Mm -hmm. And so you need independent prosecutors to deal with situations like that. So there are things we can change structurally which would help us a lot. But all those, the change has got to happen in every life, every neighborhood, every family, every church. But there are, it's always the Catholics talk, talk, talk about um, subsidiarity, meaning you solve things as much as you can at the local smallest level possible. Mm -hmm. But then you've got to scale things up Catholic social teaching says to solve things at the level they have to be solved at. So again, right. it's a false choice. It's all big up here, it's all down here. How do you find a societal solution that involves persons, families, churches, neighborhoods, uh, city governments, state governments, and national governments? Well, listen, this has been great. We actually, I want to try to have you on again so we could do another half of this discussion um, very soon, I'd and I appreciate to. you taking the time. I love to, and this is this may be the coolest mic that I have ever. It's, everybody says I, that it comes I, in. Every single person. I'll says come that. back just for the mic. I again. just bought another one to have it, a second one on hand at home. I bought, I love it, and they're cheap. They're like a hundred dollars. I mean, oh, wow. and you get so much out of them. So I'll come back for the mic. Well, good. All right, that sounds great. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Back to the church board. So before I so rudely interrupted you, Billy, you were gonna get into a story on tithing. We well, we and we played that audio clip of that embarrassing commercial. Do we need to play it again? <laughs> um, no. Okay. And now, look, one of the issues they raised in that ad was whether or not Ted Cruz has been tithing, giving to charity, and 
it's fascinating because we we do have records. We have his income records from 2006 to 2010. This was an issue when he was running for the Senate in 2012 that he was allegedly not giving um, even 1% of his income towards charity. Now, the charities aren't listed on those documents, so we don't know where he was giving money to. But like I said, it was less than 1%. And, and if that's the case, then some have, have said, well, Ted Cruz isn't giving the 10% he should be. That's what he should be giving as a right. Christian. Right. Is he an, an inauthentic Christian? You've got right. Mike Huckabee commenting on this. And it's actually grown into a bigger issue. Bill yeah. O'Reilly tackled it um, last week on his show. People are talking about this and, and yeah. saying, hey, yeah. what's going on here? I think it's interesting. I think it's, I, to me, I think it's a fair thing to bring up, personally. I think that if you're going to claim to have a certain life that you live, that's part of it. I think that if you're going to claim to be a strong Christian and focus on what God does and does for you and, and the way you're following his, his voice and his guidance for your life, part of that voice and guidance that God offers includes tithing. And if you're not doing it, I think it's a fair question to raise myself. Now, I was actually surprised by how much money he made. He made, I believe these numbers are correct, 347000 in 2006. And he made in... Um, Is that including his wife's pay? Because she worked for the bank. I believe, I believe so. Be, yes, I believe so. But, but they made over $2 million in 2010. Really? That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yes. So, so, well, that's um, fascinating. So, but... So here's the, here's, here's the thing we don't know, right? Most people keep track and keep records of, of, the, of their giving, and they, get, and they get a giving statement from their church or charity that they give to, which is, fun, which is great. I mean, it's for tax purposes. If, however, you give cash and you give it anonymously or you don't want a record of it, then, again, I'm not going to make excuses for him. I, I, the, that's the only thing I could think would be a reason for the, his, for the number to be so low would be that He's he's giving cash, and he came out and said, "Listen, yeah, we made two hundred, we made two million dollars, and we also gave away two hundred fifty thousand dollars, or two hundred thousand dollars would be ten percent." And, well, and, look, and we give away know, in cash. We don't know that. We, I mean, if if that's what they did, then that's what we did. We have there was no way of proving or disproving. But if we're going to hold him to that standard, then right. we also have to hold Donald Trump to that standard too. And I no, I, no we don't because Donald wouldn't. I mean, he, God, Donald doesn't claim the same things that Ted Cruz does. Like well, you, I mean, you I mean Huckabee, but the evangelicals who are following him assume he does right. because he has Huck, said he's a Christian. But you can hold you can hold Huckabee to that standard, a, a standard he has preached. You could hold, you know, I guess Marco or, Rubio. Or as El Sharpton calls him, Huckle, 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 Huckleberry. 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 But, you know, yeah. uh, you could, you could uh, Huckabee or I suppose Rubio and, and Cruz have been the most, um, uh, I don't know what other word term to use, but proselytizing in the things that they say. They're very outspoken about their faith and the specifics that they believe and standing up for, for the things that they believe in their Christian faith. Well, Santorum too, I guess. Uh, I think you can hold them to that standard about whether or not they tithe. I don't... I, Cruz doesn't... or uh, Trump doesn't profess the same things that they do. He says, yeah, I'm a Christian. I grew up, what, Presbyterian or whatever it was? That nobody nobody buys that, for one. And nobody 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 would be confused to say, yes, Trump and Cruz are espousing the same things religiously. They just simply aren't. And so I think that you, you, you hold people to a standard that they claim, not one that they don't claim. Yeah. Tithing, tithing is a tricky thing because we can't possibly know. Maybe like you said, he did give the money and we don't know. It's not in those documents. He's not writing it off. Um, I think it's, it's easy to critique. And yeah, I do think it's a, it's a fair issue. It's a fair question Uh, to ask. And I think he should answer it. 
<clears throat> I think he should. And maybe it's that he didn't give 10% because he had something else he needed to do with that money that year. I, we don't know. Who knows? Maybe yeah, there, maybe he was helping a family member. I mean, we don't. I'm not and, making and excuses either. We don't know. And that's certainly possible. But I think that the 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 the, the question to ask is, did you tithe or didn't you? I mean, if it's going to be something that's brought up and you and they put out their giving statements because that's what they do and they show their finances and he's given only you know one percent or less to charity or church, I think it's a legitimate question to ask of somebody who's claimed to have hold that particular standard. And if he hasn't, he needs to be honest about it and say, you know what, that is an area that that I have fallen short in and I need to do better and, you know, and I want to do better and God is dealing with me with that on, and it's over. You say that and it's over as far as I'm concerned. Don't hide from it. Don't claim to be doing something else, but you can't say, well, I had other things I wanted to spend the money on. You, you just need to say, I haven't been doing the thing that I should be doing because the you fact, know what I, you know what I should be doing fact, right the, now? The fact you should be sleeping. The fact is everybody tithes and I heard, oh, who was it? Was it Andy Stanley or was it, you know, uh, who's the who's the bearded guy or the bald bearded guy? Dave Ramsey. Talk about tithing. He says, listen, everybody tithes. It's just a matter of who do you tithe to. The tithe is the first 10%. And who's your first 10% go to? Does your first 10% go to your home mortgage company? Does your first 10% go to uh, Visa? Does your, does your t- first 10%, does your tithe go to your Disneyland trip? Or does your tithe go to God? You know, and that's that's the question, your first 10%. I think it's I think it's a fair question to ask him. I think he should give an honest answer. And if he hasn't been tithing, he should admit it and say, you know what, I haven't been, but I should be. I'm fair. There you go. Done. And it's there done. You go. I think it's and it's done. He doesn't have to deal with it again. Then we can move on to the next controversy, which I'm sure there'll be one right behind that oh, one. Oh, sure it is. <laughs> yes, okay. Okay. Maybe you did tithe, but did you pay with Canadian dollars or American dollars? That'll be the next question to him. You know what? I'm going to bed. Okay. Good night. Read your Bibles. <laughs> Get some nice. Are you okay? Are you okay there? I almost died choking. Oh. Oh, by the way, what? I meant to tell you, you're sounding. This is the second episode in a row. I didn't bring it up last show, but you're sounding really good. Uh, your voice isn't so much because of your sinus cloggage. But, yeah, I feel be- I feel but, better. Overall. But your but your audio quality has improved. What I happened? have a new mic. Oh, that's right. You bought a new mic because the other one. It broke. It was a gift. It was a gift for Christmas. I got a whole wow. Got new headphones, new headphones. A new the headphones, mic. The headphones are classy looking and fancy, like all professional. Especially I even I left the old you. mic on my desk at work, <laughs> so somebody could think, steal the USB yeah, cord. Yes, some <laughs> schmuck is gonna steal a dead, broken mic. So, I, so here's my question. So, <laughs> the first mic that broke, and we we're having all those audio problems. It was because it was in a stand that wasn't the right kind of stand for it. Um, what kind of stand are you using now? <laughs> the same stand, huh. but it's the stand that came with I'll it. I'll be but darned. What I've, done, what I've done, as you'll see, is I've positioned it so that the cord won't have that problem again. The, what was wrong was that when you lo- when you tighten the mic in, mm-hmm. it sometimes gets loose, and it kept falling the mic. And when it fell, it would cr- it cracked the cord. Huh? See this here? Yeah. How much did you pay for that? Oh, Thirty dollars, maybe. Why don't, don't you send me a link to do it? Do I need to buy one for you and just? <laughs> no, no, no. Send me a link to it. And you got to get one it. of these shock absorbers. It's another thirty bucks. We actually have a problem with Amazon. We keep ordering things. Like, oh, I'm just gonna <laughs> like go on to Amazon. I love order Amazon. Two day shipping. It's, it's terrible. Really bad. I hate it. It's really bad. And I live in a small town, so you should be supporting the local economy. I I just go on to Amazon, and I love it because I can find anything I want. Right? No, but it's so bad because oh, this it is. isn't monopoly money. It's real money. Like the, the leather chaps that I'm wearing right now. 
the ass <laughs> the assless leather chaps that I'm wearing right now. Amazon. Oh God. Um, <laughs> if you ever wanted to come up with something that would make people not want to shop on Amazon, um, <laughs> the other night I'm like, I want to get a new towel holder, toilet paper holder, a whole. Let's just redo our bathroom. Click, click, and I click, went on click, Amazon click, click. and bought like ten different things and right. shipped them here. And now you're broke. No, no, yeah, well, broke, and then I'm like, uh, now I gotta do this. Like, <laughs> but is it, okay, here's, it's, will it be, will it be delivered with your five dollar milk, or is that separate? No, that's a separate order. Oh, okay, we actually got, went grocery shopping the other day. We did not oh, get really? it delivered. You deigned to, to go say, out amongst, say, you deigned to go out amongst cake. the masses. Let them eat cake. I have no. It's probably how I got sick. The I have no interest public. in going out among people again. I know, I know you don't. You need someone clearing the way in front of you, shouting, do you, clear, the wait, way, do you wanna, clear the way, peasants. Clear the way, peasants. Do you want to laugh, though? <laughs> yes, I do. Because we get the groceries <laughs> delivered, but then every other week, we drive 30 minutes to Aldi. Do you know what Aldi is? Yeah, it's a canned goods store, right? Right. We go to the cheap, cheap Aldi store every other week to compensate in the middle. You're and so stupid. I love it. <clears throat> the grocery delivery is amazing. We save more money. I would encourage anybody save that has it to look into it. more money compared to what? Aldi? Well, what no. We save more money than when we go to the grocery store because we only buy what we need for the meals that we're making. We don't buy extra stuff that you see, extra crap you're walking why by. Oh, look. The, so uh, if, if it's one fee for them to deliver, why not do all of your grocery shopping that way? <coughs> I can't believe we've come back Aldi has Aldi has some things for kids that are a little cheaper and we just like going there i mean you can get like a lot of very good our aldi is is very nice like you can get a main, lot of good stuff all there. the main groceries like you're complaining about a gallon of milk right but <clears> you <throat> only have them bring the the just the thing you need for that meal or next two meals no i mean what we'll do is we'll make a list of general things that we need but then for a week we'll map out okay what are we going to do for lunches and dinners yeah and we'll have that delivered as part of it. And you pick the time for delivery, but but it's only six dollars, and we always have a do free delivery on, pass. Do, do you have to be there? They have a what? A free delivery pass? They have. They give these passes out that it's free delivery, so we rarely even pay the delivery fee. Um, you have to be so, there when they deliver it. They bring it right into your kitchen. God, I hate. I hate the East Coast. The entire East Coast. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are getting this, the blizzard. I hate all of you so much. It saves us so much time. It doesn't. Time. I love it. it. Well, it saves you time. Yes, it saves you time. It saves so much time. I love it. Ugh. And money. It saves us money. It doesn't. It does. No, your grocery more, bill has your gone grocery, down. Your, your grocery bill is, your groceries are more expensive but the, because of it. They're not. I'm telling you, they're no, not. No, no, Your total bill is less because you're buying less. But no. But that doesn't mean our, that the our, things but, you're buying. But the, same, the, the items have always the cost cup, the same. No, no. There's no the difference. Cup of, the cup of noodles over at Safeway is 98 cents. The cup of noodles at Hoity Toity Hallowell Grocery no, is a dollar fifty. It's ShopRite, which is like a cheap store. Look, here's the deal. New York is crowded with grocery stores, right? Tons of grocery stores. It's it's they're being competitive and they've been very successful at it. But it's a ShopRite, which is a very basic store. You probably had them in DC when you were there. Uh, it really I just I just hate that. I hate the East Coast so much. I well, hate everything about you know, it. There's nothing there's there are, you know, other than the financial district, there's really nothing redeeming. I mean, even that, it's like if would the world be better off or worse off if there was some sort of earthquake in the, the mid Atlantic? Probably all the way up to, worse because all the way up to delivery would have to be reinvented. <laughs> They'd have to shop that, farm that out to other people. Okay. Honestly, we didn't like it at first. We were skeptical of it at first. Yeah, because the gro because the grocery guys licking the vegetables. 
before he brings them to your house. Actually, we don't buy fruit. We don't buy fruit, and we don't, there's some things we don't buy from don't. them. <laughs> of course, you don't buy fruit or vegetables. That's why you have laundry hanging on your exercise equipment right behind you. <laughs> no, we do not. We do not buy fruit there. We get we go in person because we've had too many problems. They deliver bad fruit. Oh yeah, they got the, they go to the the stock that's just past its ripeness. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually these, go. We actually have a these grocery losers. store within a two minute walk from our house. And you don't go to that one. You go to the one that gets it's, delivery. No, because that one's actually very expensive. So we tend to not shop at that one unless we need milk. For five dollars. Well, how much is For it at that dollars. place? How much is it at that place? Actually it's it's four fifty at that place. Okay, and how much is it at the uh Hallowell delivery store? It depends. If you do organic versus regular. No, regular regular normal American people milk. Um, I would say probably between four and five, depending on the brand. You have multiple brands of milk? Just a yeah. regular gallon of one percent. How much? It's New York. You got tons of brands of milk. But you're not in the city. You're in. You're on Tom's Liver, Tom's River Loop, or whatever it is. You. It's, you know, <laughs> what town it's, are you it's talking? Hallow- about? Hallowell. Hallowell on Hudson. We've lost every listener at this point. Now we're just in a. That's because you already told them to read their Quran. So now they're not even listening. I well, actually Pedro's, said the Hadith. Pedro's listening. Pedro's listening. Yeah. Yeah, I I bet. Okay, okay, sleepy pants. You need to go. You, I'm you going need to, to bed. Go I'm not even making sense go take anymore. Take care of your wife. Is is she getting better? She's uh, she has strep throat now. She oh, went to the doctor today. That sucks. Yeah, I don't. I didn't really have strep. Maybe I did. I don't know. But yeah, she's definitely a little bit better. Um, her fever's gone and stuff. But you know. All right, the baby's doing all right. Th- yeah, thank God. Really yeah, let's go sign up. Whatever. <laughs> let's just talk all night. Let's just okay. have a conversation. All right, we we'll record this. We should call oh. Delilah and have her come out and do we some pillow talk. Let's, let's just start calling random people. Not, I mean, not random people, but let's start calling people on our list randomly and see if they'll talk for 10 minutes. We should do a marathon show sometime. Just for we the, just just for the kicks and giggles. People. Random we should people call like random celebrities. <laughs> that we know. So Kevin Sorbo. Uh, Candace Cameron. Candace Cameron. Chris, what's his name? Adam... Uh, uh, no, I was going to say Adam West. That wouldn't be correct. Chris, Adam Chris West, Blaha, Matt West, right? Matthew West. Um, now we can call Jason Crab. Well, we can call um, Jason. We 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 can call Jason Crab, and we can call Crowder. I'm not sure Sean about. Astin. I'm not sure about West though. He didn't. He's supposed to be back on our show, yeah, again. but he didn't get nominated. I'm not sure we're going to have him back. Sean Astin. We got to have Sean, well, Sean Astin. Sean Astin. On. Yes, Rudy. Did you um, see the commercial with your friend Sean Astin? The Rudy commercial. I didn't see it. Oh, it was on ESPN, like every commercial break during bowl season. It's all these old former NFL players. Joe Montana is holding a, a tablet and he's talking to he's talking to Sean Austin there on the on Skype. And these other uh 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 Bo Jackson and who else was there? A few other NFL former NFL players, Hall of Famers are sitting there with <coughs> I'm talking I'm watching Rudy. what you what are, what are you watching on there? What do you talk, what do you got on there on the tablet? He goes, Oh, it's Rudy. And they say, Rudy, that's not Rudy. And they look, and he's talking to Sean Astin, <laughs> and he goes, "It's Sean, it's Sean, guys. You can call me Sean, Rudy. <laughs> no, Sean, Sean would be fine." And they're all going, "Rudy, Rudy, Rudy," and he goes, "That's awesome." <sighs> anyway, it was a fun. You should ask him about it if he enjoyed filming that. If he got to actually, I will. Talk I convinced to him to write a nice little sentence for my book. That's nice. And he did it. Right. He did it. We yeah. have to have him on the show. Yes, I really want to have him. We do. When is your book coming out? Do we have a pub date on that yet? Uh, May 3rd. Of this year? I believe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Believe it or not. Chris is mesmerized that I made a deadline. That's what he, Chris can't get <laughs> over that because I never, I never make you deadlines. Were, you were facing a lawsuit if you didn't. 
<laughs> I made the deadline. You did make the deadline. I was impressed. I was impressed. Um, look, was if anyone, I shouldn't say. I'm actually reading say, through the book this weekend. I shouldn't say impressed. I was surprised. Well, let's wait until you see the contents of the book before <laughs> you get impressed. True. All of your coloring pages looked. It okay. could just exactly. It could just be pictures <laughs> of random things. <laughs> we need that. Th- we need 500 pages of content. You got it. <laughs> Different scenes of the end times. Chris being fried <laughs> under a magnifying pictures. glass. <laughs> you had Ava color a few. <laughs> You're really a terrible creature. Oh, I know. All right. All right. This show night. has gone right, on. Get, get get some sleep there, princess, and and. Uh, All right. I'll All right, Grandpa. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. <laughs> Goodbye, America. Wasn't this a great show and a wonderful way to end things? We really appreciated you being here. Uh, we hope you'll tune again next time and hear more of Billy's grocery store exploits and exploits <laughs> and how he had to suffer and wait for 10 minutes to have his groceries delivered. We'll talk to you later. Terrible. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Church Boys.